Good morning, everyone. Let's go ahead and stand. Welcome to church today. If you join us at home, welcome to church. We're going to take some time to sing together. We heard last week that the love of God never ends. Pastor Ronald helped us to see that from 1 Corinthians, the, the love of God, it never ends. So we're going to start our time singing about, about God's love and his song being the song that we're going to sing forever, the song of his redeeming love for us. Let's sing this together. You are our song from age to age. Our voices unite to recount your praise again and again. You are our song from age to age. And we will proclaim your power to save again and again. Sing it again. You are
our steps through tempest and through trials. Our shepherd king, your way is best, though tears now veil our eyes. Your steadfast love, our perfect hope, our eyes are fixed on grace. Have no doubt you'll lead us home to finally see your face. What eyes of faith have strained to see will one day fill our sight. We look forward with all the saints. We'll lay our crowns before the Savior's feet and sing as all the heavens resound for all eternity. You are our song from age to age. Our voices unite to recount your praise again and again. You are our song from age to age. We will proclaim your power to save again and again. Washed away, washed away, Hosanna. 
to Titus 2, rejoice in this truth, it says this, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, and here's what this grace does, it, it trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, this is what God's grace does for us. And helps us to wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus did, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. That's the good news, the truth about who we are in Christ. That we've been given this grace that has done this amazing work in us. Let's consider that grace as we continue to sing. 
few days ago, while driving across a bridge, I noticed two sets of trees to the left and to the right of me. Both sets were clearly trees, but one set looked very different from the other. On the left were trees that had thousands of leaves, fully green and flourishing. To the right were trees that hardly looked like trees any longer. They just looked like big sticks coming up from the ground, very dry and not one green leaf in sight. A few days later, I was thinking about those two sets of trees, and I felt the Lord give me the scripture, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. I felt like these sets of trees represented two different kinds of believers. Both were believers because both had their roots in Christ, but where they set their minds was the main difference between the two. The word set is defined to put, to lay, or to stand in a specified place or position. During these times, we cannot help but see all the destruction, disaster, and fallenness all around us. However, we are not to set our minds there. When we do that, we will be like those withered away trees who have roots, but no fruit. He wants us to set our minds upon him. And as we do that, we will be like the green trees that are flourishing and bearing fruit, even while enduring such difficult times. Isaiah 26, three states, you keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Set your minds upon Jesus and not the cares of this world. He longs for you to bear that first green leaf. Amen. Lord, we want to do that. God, we want to have our eyes fixed on you. Lord, that's why we gather Sunday after Sunday, Lord. It's because we, we are tempted to have our eyes not placed on you throughout the week. Lord, and we need to be gathered in this place. We need the faith of our brothers and our sisters, the uh, to, to help us, Lord, to, to strengthen our faith in you. Uh, Lord, to be able to, to sing together, to sing to one another about what's true about us, about what's true about you, Lord, and your, uh, your character and your trustworthiness, Lord. Lord, so for whoever in this room that word might have been for, uh, Lord, we, we all want to turn our eyes to you. We all want to set our minds on you, God. So we would you, would you move, Spirit of God, in us right now as we continue to sing? Lord, would you, would you be bringing faith? Would you be lifting gazes up to you afresh this morning where we've looked away, where we've been, been distracted? Lord, would you help us to look to you again? Lord, we want to, to receive the life that you offer to us, Lord. We want to be healthy trees. We want to be barren, sickly trees. Lord, we want to want to be planted by streams of water, Lord, and have the, the, the life of Christ dwelling and living and flowing through us. Lord, so we look to you. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim In the light of His glory and grace 
to the hillside where justice and mercy embrace there the son of god gave his life for us and our measureless debt was erased thank you lord jesus to you we lift our
turn our eyes to you. Look full in your wonderful face. Lord, we turn our eyes to you. Lord, help us turn our eyes to you. There's so much else we can do besides look to you. Lord, but help us look to you instead. Keep our eyes on you. Oh, Jesus, help us keep our eyes on you. Build our faith as we keep our eyes on you. Us only look to you, Jesus. Help us, Lord. I just want to pray for anyone in here who's walking through a season of difficulty. you, would you just lift your hands to the Lord? Nothing special about that, but just as a posture of surrender. If you're walking through a season that's just really difficult, would you just raise your hands to the Lord as though you're saying, Lord, I I need you. Let's just let the Lord minister to us as we pray to him. Lord, Lord, we we lift our eyes now to you, Lord, and, and thank you, God, for the gathering. Thank you when you you meet with us with your spirit and you impart faith to your people. Lord, would you do that now in our midst? Lord, would you give faith to us? Lord, would you help us to look away from our own natural thinking? Lord, and look away from what makes sense to us. Lord, would we look to you? Lord, would we turn our eyes right now in this moment to you? Lord, would you, would you strengthen our faith, God, in you? Lord, there seems to be walls that we can't climb over, Lord, and we, we know you're on the other side of them, Lord, but we can't see how to get over there. Lord, we turn our eyes to you, Lord, the one who has all power, who is all sufficient. Lord, we turn our attention to you, O oh God. Lord, help us not to trust in ourselves. Help us not to trust in our plans. Help us not to trust in our health. Lord, help us not to trust in the relationships that we feel like we can control. Lord, our eyes, we turn them to you, O oh Lord. Lord, in all that's earthly, Lord, let it grow dim. Lord, would our desires to, to build an earthly kingdom, Lord, would it grow dim as we look to you? Lord, we want to be a group of believers, a body, a, a local church of believers who who aren't looking down at the earthly things, Lord, but who are always looking up, always have our eyes fixed on you, God. Lord, this is a work you must do in us, Lord, that we must cooperate with, Lord, so we do now. Lord, so in all the seasons that are represented in this room where faith is needed, Lord, would you meet us? Supernaturally, Spirit of God, empower your people with faith. We pray. Sing this chorus again. 
Jesus, to you we lift our eyes. Jesus, our glory and our prize. We adore you, behold you, our Savior ever true. Oh, Jesus, we turn our eyes to you. Oh, Jesus, we turn our eyes to you. Help us, Lord, we pray. For your glory, for our faith, for our good. It's in your name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I hope that you, church, have been aware of what has happened in our worship service this morning. As the Lord has called us to see um, not this life, not this present reality, but that through the songs that Eric um, chose, through the help of the Spirit, through the word that was given by Barbara, we were called to look up to eternal realities to our hope that is to come to our Christ, our Savior. Our eyes were lifted up this morning from earth to the heavenlies. And, and I, I want to emphasize that by rereading that passage that Eric brought to attention in Titus. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Much what we do in the Christian faith, much of our experience here on earth is precisely that, a training, an anticipation, a waiting of things that are to come and what is to come, the appearance of God. And when we gather on Sunday mornings, much of what we do is training. We do things that help remove our eyes from the now and place it on what is to come. So, so don't disconnect from worship when we get to this part of our worship service, which is the tithes and offerings segment of our worship service. Because this is a key moment of that training where, where we take the momentary and we, we invest it in eternal realities. This is what you're doing. When you give of your time and you give of your resources, you're connecting your life now with things that will continue on for eternity. You are helping ushering the kingdom of God through what he has entrusted to your stewardship. And so we can do that in a number of different ways here with the church. You can Actually, right now, go ahead and go and give of your tithes and offerings to the offering boxes in the back. You could do so uh, online through a number of different means. But let, let's go to the Lord in prayer uh, once more and ask him to continue to bless this gathering as he already has. Father, thank you. Thank you that we can, in fact, be reminded of our need to turn our eyes to Jesus, Father. But thank you that when we turn our eyes to him, what we see is something glorious. What we see is not something that disappoints, not something that is lacking, 
not something that's unimpressive, Lord, but we see the founder of our faith, the, the, the winner of our hearts, the defeater of our sin, him who has promised us eternal life and who waits for us, O Lord. We see Christ our Savior, O Lord. Thank you for the truth of eternal realities that await us in Christ. Bless this time, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, church. Good morning to those here. Good morning to those of you in room 200. And good morning to those of you at home. Welcome to our worship service. My name is Ronald. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. It's a joy to gather with you guys every Sunday, and particularly this Sunday because, well, this is the now. So it's a unique joy. Uh, just a couple of quick announcements before Pastor Keith comes back uh, to share the word with us. Uh, so small groups uh, are back. Um, small groups begin next week, church, and this is a time time where uh, the connections of the body are at their most uh, peril, uh, their most endangered in terms of them being fractured and disturbed, and they're also at their most need, at their highest need. Now more than ever in a socially distant, quarantined world, we need to be plugged into the other members of the body of Christ. So small group ministry begins next week, and and small group is going to look a little bit different this season. Um, uh, There should be a small group booklet in the back and certainly on your app that will list the different small group um, meetings available. And you'll notice that uh, there's a number of different formats. So some small groups will meet only through Zoom. They'll have that digital connection. Other small groups will actually come and meet physically here at the church. Social distancing uh, is is available to you. And then other small groups will kind of do a hybrid of those as well. There will be some small group meetings in homes as well. But please avail yourself of this opportunity. Go ahead and register uh, so small group leaders can begin preparing for that. Uh, and then uh, one more announcement. Uh, we, we've been promoting this, uh, um, the, the, the continuation, the relaunching, the, the extension of our AV uh, team uh, ministry. We have a lunch for you guys. Uh, if you're interested in serving in the AV team, if I have sent you emails, which I've had sent you a number of emails, if I've contacted you, lunch happens at the end of the second service upstairs in room 200, and we're going to gather there and have some envisioning um, to go with that. I think that is all I was asked to come say up here. Uh, Pastor Keith, would you come now and give us the word, brother? Thank you, Ronald. Good morning. Great to see your lovely half of your faces this morning. Every once in a while I get to look around and see some faces that I haven't. You've aged. Some of y'all have aged since the last time I saw you. I just want you to be aware of that. It's been a little while. Uh, many thanks to Pastor Peter and Ronald for uh, helping us the last couple of weeks from the pulpit to see God's love more vividly through the grace that God's given to them. So very grateful for that. Well, this morning, uh, go ahead and turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians, the end of chapter 13. We are venturing into chapter 14. Uh, we are venturing in in a way that I just want to highlight something in the way in which we're going to look at this today. You know, we seek to spend most of our time in the pulpit uh, going through books of the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Um, there are, that's a predominant way to do expository teaching. But one of the things that you should always have in your arsenal of doing Bible study is systematic study as well as just a passage that you're looking at. So there are 
moments, if we want to understand what the Bible's saying to us about any particular topic, we need to view it through the lens of many places where it gets addressed. So we are transitioning with the Apostle Paul into chapter 14. And this whole section of chapter 12 to chapter 14 is about spiritual gifts. And so we want to look at that, but I'm going to start us in a little different place. And we're going to get to those passages in just a moment. But I want to start us in Matthew chapter 25. So if you have your Bible and you want to turn there quickly, you will recognize this parable of the talents that Jesus shared towards the end of his ministry. Verse 14 says, for it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. I'm not going to unpack much of this, but, but this is the end of Jesus' ministry. Can you, can you get the illustration here? Right, this is Jesus who, if you will, is about to go on a journey who is going to be entrusting things to his servants. To one, he gave five talents. To another, two. And to another, one. Each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents the same manner, the one who had received two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. And let's pray together. Father, this parable, it's a bit gripping, Lord, as we watch it unfold. It's sobering to ponder the master entrusting his possessions to others for the good of the estate, for the good of the future of that enterprise. And Lord, we ultimately know what this is pointing to. Lord, it is sobering when the master returns and he engages those who have been entrusted with things. Uh, Lord, that also gets our attention. There is a weight here. There's a soberness here. Or there is a stewardship here that matters. And so Lord, today, as we look at that which you have entrusted to us and the stewardship of your household and your kingdom, uh, Lord, would you awaken our hearts that we would be like the stewards who invested what you entrusted to us and have seen a great return. Lord, help us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Paul, remember we've, we've been visiting Paul in this section for quite a while. Paul pulls up to chapter 12. And he's going to open up quite a, quite a large section here that's going to run from chapter 12 all the way through the end of chapter 14. Now, if you had read or you were told you're going to read a letter from the Apostle Paul in the first century to a church that he had started and had been a part of, and then a few years later, he's going to go back and write something to them. What would you guess Paul would spend the most time writing about? 
He just had to guess, right? There's a lot of important things you think, well, the apostles got to go back and talk to this church about this and perhaps about that and about this. Would you be surprised that the largest section in 1 Corinthians is about spiritual gifts? 84 verses on spiritual gifts. And, and even love, which comes into that section, you know, you get an explanation of spiritual gifts, you get the purpose of spiritual gifts, you get the unique distribution of spiritual gifts, you get the variety of spiritual gifts, and then you get this installation of chapter 13 that's about the attitude and the heart and the motivations behind spiritual gifts. That's why Paul's bringing this up. So spiritual gifts, just in this one section, and we're going to see today, there's, there's a number of sections where time is spent in the New Testament featuring spiritual gifts. But even in this one section, 84 verses is almost twice as many verses as Paul taught on marriage. Marriage, pretty important thing, isn't it? That's a pretty central thing to being families and being the church. And, and Paul doubles that in this one book in that section. Parenting. I don't always game for some help in the parenting category, as I think a lot of us are. Uh, six verses in the New Testament from the Apostle Paul on parenting. Can you imagine the number of social causes that the Apostle Paul could have spent time in in the New Testament? Right, He's doing life, we're doing life. Right? Our day is full of social cause issues that are needing to be addressed and trying to be addressed, political issues. Can you imagine how many verses Paul could have had on politics in the Bible? But yet if you sit down and you go through all of his writings, you'll find, I don't say next to nothing, but very little on politics. And you won't find him deep in spiritual or social causes either. But you'll find 84 verses here about spiritual gifts, right? So that gets our attention. It gets my attention, right? In the economy of God's inspiration, there's a lot here on this. So why? Why are spiritual gifts so important? Right in your outline, I wrote, spiritual gifts are important because mission is important. And when mission loses its importance, Christians lose interest in spiritual gifts. That's just a reality. These gifts are about advancing a mission. And when that mission loses its value, so will these spiritual gifts and our need for them, our pursuit of them, our embracing of them, our longing to understand them, to engage them, to be wise stewards of them as they exist in our lives. Now, listen, I get that this topic has a number of typical reasons where it just kind of gets at a distance from us. And there's just a kind of a discrepancy between the, the Bible, how it talks about this in a central way. And yet for most of us, it, they exist on the periphery of our lives, this whole spiritual gifts thing. You know, when we get to them in the Bible, we'll talk about them a little bit. But just, you know, in the day-to-day, -day, in the routines of our lives, we're just not living there, right? Spiritual gifts. I mean, it's, it's an odd topic. 
You know, it's hard to understand. How do you actually explain some of these things? What exactly does that mean today? And what does that look like? How do I, how do I come to understand that? And, and let's be honest. I mean, they're a, little, they're a little weird, right? Aren't most of us a little bit concerned about the gift of prophecy? I mean, we, we've, we live in a well-published world. There's a lot of weird stuff out there in the name of prophecy going on. So, so we encounter weird. And so what do we do? with that weirdness. Can you imagine how the apostle Paul would respond to the idea that he's going to devote this much real estate to this topic. And then we're going to visit him from the future and say, Paul, can I just tell you in my day, this, this gets weird. And so we just put it on the shelf. Would that have made any sense to Paul? You know, the whole tongues thing. I mean, that's just, I don't know. That's just kind of weird. I mean, it's just uncomfortable. I don't even fully understand what exactly it is. And so it's just, we just install distance in our lives or, you know, well, well, I come from a church where that just wasn't really emphasized. I think Ronald shared something like that. You know, that that's, wasn't part of what we grew up in. So there's something built into us that allows us to take a topic that is big in the scriptures and we feel comfortable kind of pushing it to the edges of our lives. And, and we say, oh, well, it's still in the picture frame. You know, it's got one foot in. You take the picture. There's, there's spiritual gifts right there. You can see his foot. I mean, the rest of his body's not in the picture, but his foot's in. But Paul treats this like this is massively important. And I want to associate the gifts as it is in Corinthians with two things that kind of we would say these two things are massively important. Paul's going to associate gifts with these two things, right? The first thing is love. And you're going to see today, because I'm going to give you a little bit of a systematic view, that gifts don't come up in the Bible without love coming up. You'll see that today. Secondly, the mission that we are on. Gifts get explained in light of a mission that's trying to go somewhere. Something's going to provide movement for this mission. And you're going to find out gifts are very much at the center of what causes the mission that we're on to move. Well, spiritual gifts do that. And that's what we're going to see in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. But walk with me here. I'll put a couple of brief little parentheses here of Paul getting into chapter 13 and getting out of chapter 13. Here's how Paul exits chapter 13. Remember the, the great love chapter we've been in all summer. First Corinthians 13, verse 13, and then into the beginning of chapter 14. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. And then chapter 14, verse one. Now remember, the Bible originally written doesn't have any chapters and verses in it, right? So we have this moment like, oh, well, there's this major transition now. We're going from chapter 13 to chapter 14. There's no little one there next to Paul. There's no chapter 14 that Paul was saying, okay, what would I talk about now? Uh, no, he goes from this thought. The greatest of these is love. Next thought, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, right? So for Paul, there is a next thought connection between love and the earnest desire for spiritual gifts. It's what got us into chapter 13 in the first place, 
If we back up to chapter 12, the end of chapter 12, this is how chapter 12 finishes on its way into the love chapter. Verse 27 says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues, right? If you just stop there for a second, this will will invite you into this topic if you will just make an easy observation right here. If I was going to stand up here this morning and teach on the prevalent need for the gift of teacher in the body of Christ today, there would not be one person who would get weirded out by that. Everybody in the room, everybody, no matter where you've come from, you'd amen amen me up one side and down the other. But if I were to pick up the apostles and the prophets and say that same thing about them, you'd all put on your seatbelts and go, oh my gosh, where the heck is this going? And yet Paul put them within arm's reach of each other in the same paragraph. If I said, hey, miracles and healing and tongues, that's the topic for this morning. We'd all be bracing for how weird is this about to get? And then at the end, we're going to have some time of ministry for for miracles and healing and tongues. Oh, okay. Well, let me know when you're about to finish so I can exit right before the end of the meeting. But if I were to say, hey, how about helping and administrating? We're going to talk about helping and administrating today. Does that feel safer? Do you get the Apostle Paul doesn't have our weird categories? He's not going, hey, brace for the weird one. Oh, here's a safe one. And here's a weird one. And here's a safe one. He's not thinking that way. He just mixes them all together, puts them all in the same sentence. And he says, are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you still a more excellent way. And at that moment, he steps into the chapter on love. Only to conclude that chapter and go right back to spiritual gifts. And on both ends, there is an earnest desire for gifts attached to. This is a vine growing on your fence, which I know a lot about because I spent half the day pulling vines off my fence yesterday. Gifts and love are all entangled in each other in these passages. They're they're not separated. So gifts are a means of love. Gifts are an expression of love, a unique expression, right? I, I wrote this in your outline. My pursuit of spiritual gifts is connected to my love for some particular kind of good to come into the lives of others. So if I love the body of Christ, and I hope all of us love the body of Christ for all kinds of reasons, I want these verses to sit in me and make me aware that, that spiritual gifts that God has made me a steward of, and he has apportioned to me as the Holy Spirit chose to give to me something that he had a plan for me to use, And that's true for each of us, right? These gifts are a means of loving in some particular kind of good way other members of the body of Christ. 
That's pretty important. I'm going to put a little headline in your outline there, robbing from Peter to learn from Paul. It's kind of an interesting thing. If you do a little bit of a systematic study in the New Testament, you know, if you were like a scripture pap- paparazzi person, you were running around with taking a picture, you were running around following uh, love around, right? You just, uh, just love to follow love around in the Bible. And everywhere love shows up, I take a picture and I'm hiding behind a bush and I take another picture and I take another picture. Here's what you'd be shocked by. When you went and developed those pictures, for those of you who are old enough to know what developing a picture is, when you went and developed those pictures, you would be shocked how many times love is standing right next to spiritual gifts in the picture over and over and over again. So it gets my attention that Paul does this, but it gets my attention as well. He's not the only one. The Holy Spirit seems to have this agenda for the writers of the New Testament to see this connection so that when one of these subjects comes up, the other one comes up, right? So when we exit the love chapter and we go into spiritual gifts, that's not a weird transition. That's an everywhere systematic theology transition. It happens all over the place. Apparently these two things are interrelated. Here's how the apostle Peter lands us in this category. First Peter chapter four, verse seven. He says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. All right. Something just went off in his brain by the Holy Spirit. Love, right? There's this in time moment, love one another, right? That's a critically important thing for an in time moment. Love, look with the next thought that comes out of his mouth. Show hospitality. Did you know that's a spiritual gift? Show hospitality to one another without grumbling as each has received a gift. So use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. And here's the mission. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. There's the mission. There's the, the missional statement of our lives. And what a discovery this is, right? I don't want to spend too much time unpacking the mission thing. I won't have time for the rest, but I don't know what your life is feeling like these days, but just watching, looking at how easy it is to get absorbed in so many things, it sure feels like the the mission of the church, the mission that we're on in the church, it's just not as enamoring as it once was. It doesn't feel like it holds our attention. It doesn't feel like it jazzes us the way it once did. Can you, just, can you remember the moment you discovered the ultimate purpose that God had for all things? You remember that moment? I, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of things that I would say qualify for adventure in my own heart. But the revelation that all things exist for the glory of God. 
I don't know if any other truth went off in my life like that one did. All, it, it made everything make sense. It made what's going on in my life make sense. It, it made what, what Eric helped us pray through this morning, the seasons that we walk through in the Bible. How much and how often does the Bible stop to explain to us why this is hard? Why suffering exists? And when you pull on that thread of an explanation, you find out it's related to the fact that certainly the glory of God will cover the earth the way the waters cover the seas. And God is restoring his image into this fallen world. And there is a friction and there is a warfare in that. But when you get that and you understand that everything about your life is on a mission for the glory of God. It provides the reasons when those settings stop providing the reasons. Why are you at your job? Well, be careful, right? Well, I got bills to pay and, you know, this is just the business I inherited from my parents or whatever, you know, whatever. You're on a job for whatever. Hey, when those things go bad because you're not getting paid as much or the economy's not exactly where it was, or you've been doing this for 15, 20 years and it's gotten really familiar and the adventure has kind of gone out the window. You know what you're going to need in that moment? I do this job for the glory of God. I live in the adventure of how God's glory can come into this setting. Why are you married? Well, you know, a lot of reasons in the beginning, right? She was good looking. I was good looking. That started it. Um, we had dreams and we had plans and we wanted to have kids and we wanted to own a house and we wanted to do the whole thing and we started off this great adventure. Everybody starts in that category. And, you know, along the way, rewards and struggles come and rewards and struggle come. And sometimes the rewards outweigh the struggles and sometimes that's the opposite case. And when the struggles get hard, you're going to need another reason. But when we read our scriptures, we find out we all needed this reason to exist. We exist for the glory of God. And and this world exists to come and be reconciled to God, right? That's, That's from Genesis to Revelation. The purpose that God has in the gospel is to reconcile us to him for the glory of God. And Peter, in this little brief introduction, this is, this is Peter's contribution systematically, by the way, to the topic of spiritual gifts. All right, when you go to shop for spiritual gifts, and we'll be visiting all of these locations today, you will see this one is a list of gifts that gets birthed out of these other two categories. Right? Peter, why did you start talking about spiritual gifts? Because I was talking about love. And the next thing that came up was spiritual gifts and the glory of God, the mission that we're on together. I'm sobered by the fact that if Peter, you you got limited words to write because he's going to write first Peter, second Peter, they're not huge books. So this is big real estate. I'm sobered by the fact that he's mentioning the timing of this moment. The end of all things is at hand. So this is a critical moment. What are the things you need to talk about when the end of all things are at hand? Well, uh, let's let's make sure that we, we have our heart's attitude in the right category.
of NBA basketball back. Clock is ticking. The end of the game is coming. Every possession counts. You know, it's kind of interesting when I watch a basketball game, my team, the Pelicans, if, if they miss a shot in the first two minutes of the game, I'm not affected. If they miss a shot in the last two minutes of the game, I'm, I'm affected. I'm, that guy's going to hear from me screaming at the TV. Because this is an intense moment. Because the mission that that little game is on is to win the game, get in the playoffs. Well, Peter sees the game we're in here. It's the end of all things. This is intense. This is a big deal. This is the last minute. Okay, Peter, what do you want to talk about in the last minute? I want to talk about loving each other. I want to talk about spiritual gifts. Peter could say, the end of all things is at hand when he was writing. Can you imagine how much more we can say the end of all things is at hand right now in our lives? Quick little sidebar here. Just, I can't, can't get out of the news sometimes. Uh, we would need to be very careful that things like pandemics don't displace love and spiritual gifts. It's a pandemic. Yeah, I get it. It's a pan- No, Keith, it's a pandemic. Say it like you mean it. Okay, how about this? The end of everything is at hand. I'm saying that like I mean it. Pandemic won't shut the lights out on this world. But the end of all things will. Click. No more redemption. Nobody coming to Christ ever again. The pandemic won't do that. I know it's got our attention. I know we're freaked out about it. I think this is worth freaking out about. And yet, in this hour, come on church, be honest. We are having the hardest time loving each other. And spiritual gifts, I mean, I I get the social distancing thing. I'm not trying to condemn anybody for how careful we're being, any of those things, etc. But spiritual gifts are about fellowship. They are qualities and interactions and exchanges that happen when we fellowship with one another. How easy has this pandemic disrupted your heart to fellowship with others? Come on, man. Because I don't agree with the mask wearing thing. Really? Have you read this? The end of all things is at hand. Put on a, put on a space suit if you got to do it. But get about the kingdom of God. There's a mission to be on. But you understand, when the mission gets low, everything becomes a problem. Everything is an issue. I'm easily offended about everything. I'm easily distracted by everything. When the mission matters, let's get about the mission. I don't know how well I can give a prophetic word wearing a space suit, but I'll give it a shot. All right, that's, that's the problem we ought to be having. All right, so, so be careful. These are intense words, right? There's gift insights in this category. I'm just going to fly through a couple of thoughts here. You get some broad categories here, right? I don't think this is intended to be the only umbrellas of thought, but you have speaking gifts, right? 
Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, save serving gifts. So you got a couple of umbrellas there. You got communicating gifts. And you got serving gifts. You got a variety in both of those categories. Some of them are done at different levels and in different ways. These help us discover something, right? We need to discover things in these categories. You've got a, a supernatural impartation, right? These are whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. I mean, everybody speaks. And even if you have gifts to speak, make sure when you speak, you speak oracles of God. Make sure you're having an exchange with God that's now being transferred through your gift words. And, and whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. It's a God thing. It's an enablement from God. That's what spiritual gifts are, right? They're divine enablements from God to empower us to do things beyond our own strength, beyond our own power, right? So one of the things that's super critical, if you want to grow at all in spiritual gifts, I think I could say this categorically. If you want to grow in any spiritual gifts, you must learn to have an exchange with God. You must learn it. As an individual, I must learn it. You know what you can't do? You can't become dependent on these exchanges. Right? Here's what's happening right now. Although these these are gift exchanges, right? We believe the pulpit is designed to be a gift into the church. But, but what a pastor does is he spends all week staring at the scriptures and staring at God and staring at the scriptures and staring at God and talking to others to make sure, am I making this stuff up? Did I hear something from God? But he's trying to speak oracles of God. So there's an exchange that takes place before this guy gets in the pulpit. You're having an exchange right now as well. And the Holy Spirit can invade this exchange. He can show up in your heart, start saying things to you uniquely. That's just about you and him. That's an exchange between you and God's word and the spirit, just using a vehicle. Or the only exchange you might have is the words I'm using and what I'm saying. And it might be helpful to you at one level, but you can become dependent on somebody else having pre-chewed all your food and digested all the content and then just kind of given something to you. If that becomes you, I can almost guarantee you when you show up in fellowship, you won't know how to use your spiritual gifts. Because you're not used to an exchange yourself. When you go to serve or speak, you're going to need that exchange, right? You're going to need the Holy Spirit to awaken something in you that you're going to go tell that person that you could have only known that by the Holy Spirit. You got to have that exchange though. You can't just be coming to meetings like these where you hear, and again, I'm not devaluing these meetings, right? These are important. But I think a massive reason why spiritual gifts reach a dead end is that individually, we don't know what God sounds like. We don't get near him. We don't hold still long enough to to silence the noise inside of us and to hear something from him that would awaken serving at the wisdom to administrate things. All kinds of things would come in that setting. But here again, Peter is picking up this gift, love, he, he talks about love, he talks about Gifts just made sense for him, right? So let me go back to my thought. My pursuit of spiritual gifts is connected to my love for some particular kind of good to come into others' lives. Some particular kind of good. Listen, love has a multifaceted dimension. When we took it apart and stared at it through 1 Corinthians 13, it doesn't always feel the same way. 
right? There, there's the, the love of a father that shows up in your life. You know, from the father's standpoint, what does that feel like? And from your standpoint, what does that feel like? Well, you know, it could be disciplinary love. That's still love. How does that love feel? Sometimes it's not super comfortable. Sometimes it's stretching. Sometimes it's not giving me what I want. It's challenging, but that's love. There's the chemistry, romantic love between a husband and a wife. What does that love feel like? Well, it doesn't feel like a father's discipline. It feels very different. It, it feels personally rewarding and affectionate in a way. What about, what about the love of a friend? The sacrificial love of a friend who, who places you in a, in a big piece of real estate in their life at their expense, right? They give up something of their life because they value and treasure you. They push other things out of the way to give and be a part of your life. That brings a unique kind of love into your life. Spiritual gifts bring a unique kind of love into our lives. That's why these writers keep bringing it up over and over again. Now listen, it's, it, it may not feel like friendship love, right? How many of you can feel like you're in a church and that church is not really loving? It just doesn't feel loving. Be, be very careful before you decide that. That you're not just hoisting up your particular favorite aspect of love and requiring all the church to do that. Right, there, there is a, there's a disciplinary love that comes from the preaching of the word. That might not feel like love. You might walk out of some of these matches feeling like, Keith, I was not feeling the love, man. Well, what were you looking for love to feel like? Because if preaching the word helped you to stay out of a ditch or go free from something that's ruining your life, you still not feeling the love, really? You know, I came into the church and I was here and I don't know, just, you know, not a lot of, not a lot of friendship connections there, etc. Um, I know that's that's a struggle, and that's a real aspect of love. But you know, spiritual gifts. You know how many people are serving to even make today happen? How many people served, use the gifts of serving to make this possible for us. And guys watching at home, the, the people who have spent hours serving, serving you. So, so that even though you couldn't be here, you could watch something online. I know I've watched these guys serve for hours and hours trying to figure out, add that to their schedule. They've got other things going on, but now we're going to add to that. We're going to reinvent how we communicate and how we reach people electronically. Oh, okay. Well, maybe I need to look for love in those categories to see is love in this place because this is love. Right, so here's the reflex of scripture is to pull these two into the same conversations. Romans chapter 12. Let me race through the rest of our systematic venture here. Romans chapter 12 is another New Testament hotspot, if you will, for gifts. It's a spreader event. Romans 12 verse 4 says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we... Though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. I'm I'm imagining, don't have to go too far here, that if the apostle Paul is having to write this, now he's writing to the guys in Rome, right? We just spent time with the guys in Corinth who needed an update on gifts. Now he's talking to the guys in Rome, And if they're having to be told, let us use them. Does anybody imagine that maybe they weren't using them as much as they should? Probably so, right? If prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving. 
The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Remember, there's no number nine next. Let love be genuine. Right? That that word genuine means, hey, let's keep it real. Right? Let love be real. All right, Paul. Well, how would love be real? Well, as you've received a gift, use it. Use it to serve one another. If it's prophecy, if it's exhortation, if it's generosity, whatever it is, do it and do it with a good attitude. Let love be real, man. So Paul, you're saying that, that, that if we shut down the gifts, if we ignore the gifts, if we push the gifts to the edge of our lives, we're not keeping love real? Uh, well, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. You're not keeping it real, man. You're a church that gathers. That's a good thing. But if you stop paying attention to gifts operating in each one of you, then you have lowered the value of love. Oh, we love one another. Well, not this way, though. And these writers can't stop getting away from the fact that if you're going to talk about love, you can talk about gifts, right? It's all over the place. Abhor what's evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful in zeal, right? Leaders are supposed to lead with zeal. So I think this is, this is tapping into that. He just said, leaders, lead, use your gift with zeal and don't be slothful in that zeal. Be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulations, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs, right? That's a gift as well. And seek to show hospitality. It's another gift as well. Do you see how much the New Testament talks about gifts? Talked into and grown into this issue of love. All right, for those of you who have come from a background where, where gifts were, were intentionally, because they're weird, because they're hard to understand, because there's been abuses, they were intentionally moved out of something into the edges. It is strange that 1 Corinthians 13 becomes the reason that that happened. Almost as though, and, and Ronald did a good job of mentioning this last week. When you get to the end of chapter 12, I show you a more excellent way. As though that's a way of degrading everything he just said. Well, you got this really nominal, not important way. And then you got the excellent way where you love one another. And it's more important that we be a church that loves one another than you have these strange gifts going on. That's not what the apostle was saying, right? When we've been living in this context, do you think that's what he's saying? When he can't finish the chapter 13 about pursuing love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, he, he connects them. He doesn't know this idea that there would be these churches that really, really, really love one another. And then you got those churches with that weird stuff going on in them. He connects these things. Love and gifts are connected by Paul, by Peter. So, in your outline there, I wrote, love is patient and it's kind. It's not arrogant or rude as we studied in chapter 13. It's not self-insistent. It bears things and it endures things. But love is also strategic and spiritually functioning according to the grace that's been uniquely apportioned to us as individuals. 
That's what Peter says. That's what Romans 12 says. Uh, that's what 1 Corinthians 12 says. There is this individual apportioning that's come to each one of us. The master has left and he has apportioned to each one of us. Manage my affairs while I'm gone. Here, I'm giving you this. I'm giving that person that. Hey, you know what? By the way, what I gave to them, what I gave to you is none of your business. You do what with what I gave you. Yeah, I gave him five, gave you three, and gave you, yeah. I didn't give everybody the same thing. That's my deal. Holy Spirit distributes to each one individually as he wills, right? So we don't need to get freaked out about that. But these gifts are so that love can function in the body of Christ. Right, so this love in these passages is connected to the functioning of spiritual gifts, the pursuit of serving others through the use of spiritual gifts as a unique expression of love. It's not the only expression of love, but it is a unique expression of love because it furthers something in the life of others in the body of Christ. It furthers something in a way that's different than when I just put my arm around you and just come and say, hey man, thinking of you this week. Can we get together for lunch? Hey, why don't you come over? Right? Some of that might be starting to bleed into hospitality, by the way. It might be you opening your life and receiving others into it. That may be a gift. But there is a unique furthering of something. We engage each other's lives and I'm furthering something. And you're furthering something. What, what, what is it that we're furthering? The mission that we're on together. The mission to go into all the world and preach the gospel. The mission that says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. The, the mission that Jesus said... Uh, I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to give you abilities and send you to do things that you couldn't do on your own. The mission that all things exist for the glory of God. These are the things that are pulled into the conversation about gifts. It's not possible to prize and hold as dear the teachings of the Bible on love and on the glory of God and to take spiritual gifts and shove them to the edge of the picture. It's not possible. We don't get that from these writers. All right, one more example. Ephesians chapter 4 is the last place, and you kind of got all the major passages in the New Testament in this outline today. I want you to hear how there's a strategy in God concerning these spiritual gifts, right? God has installed a way, particularly here, for grace to find us. Chapter 4, verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. All right, this is strategic on God's part, right? This is God saying, I want grace to find its way to each one of them. Okay, God, how are you gonna do that? So when he ascended on high, he led captives with him and he gave gifts to men. That's how I'm gonna do that. Well, that's one of the ways. It's not the only way. Verse 11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints 
for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow up so that it builds itself up in love. Yet another place where you cannot talk about gifts without talking about love. But this is a strategic verse, is it not? This is God showing you the blueprint. This is God saying, I want grace to travel into my people's lives. And it's like God installs pipelines and grace. And he says, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna connect these pipelines of grace to my people through the functioning of gifts. When each part is doing its part, grace starts traveling into our lives. I, I know it's, it's, it's easier, and I think this is somewhat of our, our Western world mindset, but you know, I think we just want grace to appear out of nowhere. And, and by the way, I think it does. I think God does that. Just sort of like, you know, some kind of spray air freshener grace. You know, it's like just all of a sudden the room starts to smell a certain way, right? You know, where did that come from? But, but in this passage, the, the grace is given in the form of a gift that transfers grace to others, right? So I know this is a narrow application because it's about leadership gifts, but it, it's, it's an example of what gifts do. They transfer grace to others. So, so when I operate in whatever gift God has uniquely given me for the body of Christ, it's transferring grace to others. My hope and prayer every Sunday is that these moments together will be a transfer of grace, that there'll be something that goes off in your soul that you take away as something that feeds you and it gives you courage and boldness and comfort and ability to do this week for the glory of God and to stay on mission. God is transferring grace to us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his classic book, Life Together, he was a pastor in Nazi Germany. He writes, in a Christian community, everything depends upon whether each individual is an indispensable link in a chain. Only when even the smallest link is securely interlocked is the chain unbreakable. A community which allows unemployed members to exist within it will perish because of them. Sometimes I read quotes from guys and I think, uh, I don't know if it's quite that clear, Dietrich. But the one thing I can say about this guy is we're about 100 years out and we're still repeating what he's saying. 100 years from now, you're not going to be repeating what I'm saying. I think he had something to say to the body of Christ. In some sobering, little scary way, how true is that? 
a church that doesn't employ the gifts that God has given them in serving will perish because of that. It will be well, therefore, if every member receives a definite task to perform for the community, that he may know in hours of doubt that he, too, is not useless and unusable. Every Christian community must realize that not only do the weak need the strong, but also that the strong cannot exist without the weak. The elimination of the weak is the death of fellowship. What might every local church be if every distributed gift was finding its expression in the life of the church? What might the local church be like? What kind of grace might be in our midst? What kind of power might be in our midst? What kind of mission might be advanced in those places? Listen, that Ephesians passage is just rich, right? Here's what's associated with gifts in that passage. There's equipping grace that comes. We feel, we feel equipped. There's building up. We feel as vulnerable and as weak. There's unity. Right? We all want unity. But, you know, unity is traveling through this grace that's come through these gifts. There's knowledge of the Son of God. There's maturity. You know, once was this way and now I'm in a different place. How did that come to you? The grace that travels through these gifts. There's protection from the deceit and the systems and the problems in this world. Right, where does this stuff all come from? Well, it comes from God's distribution method. That he distributes gifts and those gifts transfer the love of God and the grace of God into our lives. So let me ask, Eric, you can come back up. Let me go back to our issue of stewardship. Remember 1 Peter, he brought up gifts this way in 1 Peter 4, verse 10. He says, as each has received a gift. What's the assumption there? That there's not a giftless person among us. Right? So you could be here today going, wow, I have no idea. Okay, but that doesn't mean you don't have gifts. It just means you don't know what they are. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Remember the parable of the talents. The owner of the estate, the God of the universe has left. And he has left his possessions in us in the form of gifts that he expects if they're of the five variety, they're going to produce another five. They're going to get invested somewhere else. They're going to get transferred into other places and get increased. If they're the three, they're going to increase. If it's a teaching gift or a serving gift, it, it's going to transfer teaching to others that's going to show up in other people's lives. If it's a serving gift, it's going to transfer the service that was needed in their life to bring strength and ability. If it's an equipping dimension, right? All these things are God's means of us stewarding. 
So it's fine to say we're a charismatic church. It's fine to say that. But the stewardship belongs to each and every one of us. Right? Remember, the elders do not distribute one gift ever. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 does not teach that the elders distribute to each one individually as they will. So if you'll come up afterwards, we're going to have an envelope and we're going to just randomly give out gifts today. Or we're going to give the ones to you that we think would be good for you. That's not our role. And most of these gifts, unless you're going to teach authoritatively in the church, most of the rest of the gifts, you do not need our permission to function in them. As a matter of fact, we will get in the way. The Holy Spirit has given you urgings and promptings and desires to function in the lives of others in a certain way. You don't need to wait for us to to give you a deputy badge of some kind. You just need to go step out in faith. What if I step out in faith and I do something horrible? Well, then you do something horrible. Somebody come behind you and clean that up. You've never done anything horrible? You ever break anything in your life? Ever spill milk? I mean, come on. It's going to happen here too. But grace awaits us for the mission that we love. To live lives for the glory of God. To bring his image into this dark world. And God is doing that through gifts. Not the only means. But it takes up a massive piece of real estate right here, right? So, and in other places, right? Do all of us understand that, that every married person here in the kingdom of God, your marriage is an imaging of Christ. Do, do you understand that, right? We understand that because Ephesians chapter five teaches us that. Do you understand there's twice as many verses on spiritual gifts as there are on marriage in the New Testament? That's not to make your marriage unimportant. That's to make this one get out of the side of the picture and to get a little bit more functioning in our lives that I need to walk in this. So practically speaking, most of the gifts that are in the New Testament don't work really well in this room right here most of the time. Unless you have a gift of listening, which would be a nice gift. So where we're going to land when we get to the end of of chapter 14 is the apostle Paul saying, when you come together, each one has a gift, has a this, a that, a this, a that, all right? That's where we're headed in this chapter. So that's assuming something, right? You're going to be coming together in a way that these gifts can actually Function. So if you're going to use gifts and discover gifts and pursue gifts, you need other settings besides this. You just can't be a person who comes to church on a Sunday and listens to a message. Whether your gifts of serving, gifts of communicating, whatever those gifts are, when you come together, you're going to have to get around others. These are not family gifts, by the way. You're welcome to use them in your family, but they're body of Christ gifts. So the idea that, well, you know, my peeps are my my family. Well, that's cool, partially. There's another group of people that these gifts are intended to function in. And we're going to have to get around them, right? So that's why we do this thing called small groups. They are smaller groups. They shove the burden of responsibility for the group's life into everybody's 
sphere. Your gifts get to function in that setting as a member of this church. So for us to adequately transfer grace to each other, we're going to need a different setting than this setting. We're going to need a setting like this. So next week, not this week, but next week, these groups get started. And as Ronald mentioned, there's a variety of groups that are meeting. Some of them are meeting, going to be meeting here. Some of them have a hybrid version of you can meet online if you're not comfortable. Uh, but, you know, you can, you can participate even if right now in this season you can only come together through a Zoom format. What's most important is, is that you and I seek to know what these gifts are and to use them. How many of you guys are, are here this morning and you're eager for grace to come to you in your moment? Right? I mean, Eric helped us pray a little while ago. Just we can find ourselves in moments where just, God, we just need God's grace to come to us. That grace can come in a variety of ways, but a major way is through the gifts of others being in your life. And you might just be living in a desert of grace because you won't get around God's means of grace for you. This is a means of God's grace finding you through where he has hidden it to be distributed to you. Let's stand up together. Oh, Lord, was, was, was Peter thinking about that parable? Lord, he stood and listened to you teach that parable shortly before you left. Was he thinking of that moment when he said, as stewards of the varied grace of God? Was he thinking about that? Lord, what would it mean for each one of us if you pulled us into a meeting, a gathering of your servants, and you said, I am going away. Do business for me while I'm gone. Here, I'm entrusting my kingdom and its possessions to you. I give this to you, and I give this to you. And I give this to you. I give this to you. And you called on us to be stewards of the varied grace of God. Uh, Lord, rescue us. Lord, please rescue us. We, we, we live in America. It's an individual sport. It's playing golf. We don't need anybody else. But your kingdom's not golf. Kingdom involves us needing others. And we need to be involved with others. You have made us a steward of the grace that should be transferred to others. And so, Lord, right now, even throughout our gathering this morning, Lord, what did you give me that was intended to transfer grace and communicate your love to others. Lord, what did you give me? 
And I pray for an awareness. Lord, I pray this week, Lord, you not let this point die. Lord, you'd make us curious. You'd make us read. You'd make us pray. You would remind us of things from years ago. Ways in which you once used us that we have let fall by the wayside. You would once again awaken that curiosity that we thought maybe the Lord had this for us and and we haven't pursued that. But but Lord, this, this morning and this week, God, would you inform us about the gifts of the kingdom you have entrusted to us? And Lord, would you enrich our covenant group meetings that are going to begin gathering next week. Lord, would you enrich those moments with a group participating to give away grace in various forms and fashions to come to impart, not just to get, but to impart to others as well. God, we are on a mission together that matters to us more than anything else. God, let your strategy find its way into us. That our church be a place where love and grace and power function in our midst for your glory and for the coming of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. See y'all next week. See you guys at home. We'll see you soon, we hope. And thanks for watching from wherever you're watching. Uh, We love you much.